morning, Zach. Howdy doody. I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan of like random first questions and I'm pretty thrilled about this new one that I can add to my arsenal. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty tremendous. Uh, it's stolen from today's guest and uh, you know, it's not the, what are you watching on Netflix thing? It's, um, something for people to ponder, right? But, yeah. Uh, it's is pickled relish is pickle relish a condiment. And it's quite interesting. I'm, I'm pretty pumped up about this one. I wrote it down when he said it, uh, I'm probably gonna literally have it in my back pocket. So what do you think? Is it? Cause I don't think it is. There's, there's no way. See, I, I would err on the side that it is. Oh. I mean, it's just it's right next to when you if you buy a hot dog, it's next to the ketchup and mustard and right. But is onions are onions a condiment? See, right? See, I mean the the. Can you imagine if we were like meeting each other for the first time and that was the conversation that we got into? I mean, that, that would it be could end a friendship fun. before it even begins. Yeah, well, some people are probably mad that you're eating hot dogs in general, but <laughs> you know, it's America's favorite game, the, the favorite food eaten at America's. You know, everything is so time. polarized these days. We can't even agree on pickled relish. Gosh, I know it's it's absolutely it's a monstrosity. We are excited, ecstatic, thrilled to host uh, and invite Chad Gill, the creator of uh, Is Pickle Relish a Condiment um, Icebreaker Question, um, soon to be comedian. Uh, Tim and I don't know this guy. He was introduced to us from um, a lady whose podcast I was on a few weeks ago, and um, I am excited to do this. He lives just outside of Richmond in a little place called Powhatan and um has done some interesting things in his entrepreneurial journey has the third best background we've ever seen um with some really awesome who, who was number two i don't remember but it was recent oh no it was um your guy in ohio oh yeah 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 so chad i mean i i know we're gonna get into a lot today but uh, i guess the first two questions walk us through what's behind you and uh is pickle relish a condiment yeah, so the latter first, you know, legal definition of condiment, I think, is a spice or sauce or preparation that's added to food to impact particular flavor or complement of food. So I don't think that helps us like any other legal definition. That didn't help us one damn bit. Um, but but I, I kind of I kind of lay in with him on the uh, on the the placement. I mean, if it's over there with the ketchup and the mustard, it must be a condiment. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. Yeah, and that's where you buy it in the grocery store as well. I, that's, that's right, the condiment aisle. That's but right. is it the condiment aisle? Is it actually called that? <laughs> I don't know. I have two daughters, so I try not to use that word at all. I'm like, it's <laughs> too close to being a problem. <laughs> so we just avoid it. Uh, it's the sides, sauces. Maybe we'll go with sauces. I don't know. It's sauce aisle. I like that better. I'll keep you posted. Uh, the first one is, uh, so these are the little... Uh, the little uh, statue guys hanging art things there. To me, they're always like the different uh, kind of the different phases or different ways I feel during a day. And uh, <laughs> as an entrepreneur, sometimes it's all in one hour. You know, I, yeah, you, I was going to say, I feel like I've already hit all of those poses this uh, already today. Yeah, you're like, you know, this guy's like, I did it. I'm, I got the check. And this guy's like, um, I owe these people. So, <laughs> you know, and so it's, you know, 
uh, my, the probably one I feel the most is the guy that just kind of clinging to the little edge over here. I think uh, spend a lot of time on, on that one. You know, I can't tell if he's pulling up or if he just caught himself from falling down. Right. Yeah, it's uh, but no, it, and it was great because when I explained it to my wife, I was like, "Look, they're all like different versions of me." And she's like, "You're not nearly that cut." I was like, "That seems wasn't what we were talking about at all." <laughs> yeah, why'd you have to go there? Come on. Why is it okay for wives to tell husbands we're chunky? You know, that's not okay. That's the, that is definitely not a two way street. I can assure you. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the, you know, random thought about the guy holding on. The grip strength that uh, rock climbers have is oh, yeah. absolutely insane. I don't know if you guys ever watched any of the documentaries on on rock climbing um, individuals. Like these guys can just hang on to like the slightest of things with like a pinky, a pinky. It's it's, it's oh, crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. crazy. Great guys to shake hands with when you've got like a big ring on. <laughs> Because they're all real small and wiry, typically, and uh, they'll just crush your hand. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that stuff's wild. Uh -huh. I, I won't even transition to the mountain goat stuff because that just takes <laughs> takes everything. To, I don't know how they do what they do, but <laughs> yeah, seriously, they don't even have claws or anything. Stuff it is nothing. It is crazy. All right, so you you've recently transitioned for for a while. You were doing cement. Uh, and, and, and we're in that concrete, um, in, in that world, what got you into that? So it was a natural progression. Um, I was doing robotics design and nuclear power plant service, uh, work. And, um, <laughs> so that took me straight into concrete. Uh, not really. I mean, that is what happened, but, um, I was, uh, doing service work and I worked for a company called Framatone and I traveled six months of the year. And then um, when we started having children, that wasn't going to be conducive to family life. And so I um, took a job consulting uh, as, a, as a mechanical engineer and um, did the same thing. I was there for a little while and they were like, hey, you're an engineer, could talk to people. So they wanted to put me in sales and have me traveling again. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to do that. So they kind of gave me an ultimatum. And so I left. And my wife said, well, you can do whatever you want now. You know, you can do you just pick anything. You do whatever you want, except you may not go work for your family. So I went and worked for my family for a little while. And that was a pretty bad experience. Um, she was probably not wrong. I don't want to say she's right because she may watch this. Um, so then um, finally, after about maybe eight months there, uh, my wife told me, she's like, just start your own thing and, and, and go start it. And he, my dad did uh, swimming pools. And so we would uh, resurface the swimming pool decks. You know, we would change liners and then we'd resurface. The, they would say, well, liner looks great, but the concrete looks terrible. So we would uh, figure out how to resurface concrete. And then that just turned into concrete grinding and polishing and just kind of grew from there. What, what is, it just seems like there's so much travel in terms of, with concrete, is that just because you have to go where you have to go where the jobs are? That uh... so no, I mean, typically uh, for concrete grinding and polishing, yes, they travel because you can put everything you need in a trailer, uh, or pretty you can do a pretty good sized job with you know maybe like two trucks and two trailers, uh, and it's worth it to go. You know, you're going to be there for maybe a couple of weeks. You know, you can do you know 
a hundred thousand square foot job, you can travel, you know, pretty good distance for, and, and, and meaning, you know, halfway across the country, um, place and finish guys, you know, it's, it just depends on like, when you get into true concrete construction, I think it's a specialty, uh, you know, like many things are, it takes a lot of skilled people and stuff. So some people travel, like you'll have crews that do place and finish. Like they, they don't form it. They don't do it. And they just show up to do the actual, you know, when the concrete starts being poured, they, they put it down and then finish it. Most have a region that they work in though. I don't, I don't think they travel, you know, there's lots of like Baker concrete and stuff like that. They have huge operations that are nationwide, but they're not normally traveling from place to place. Have you ever seen that, Zach? I just find it amazing. Like, I, like when you see the big construction projects on the road where there's just mountains of concrete, I'm assuming they just grind all that stuff and turn it into new concrete, I'm guessing. I don't know, but it just, just watching how the uh, road construction I'm a, I'm a concrete general, novice, Tim. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know much about it. So. Well, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's just really fascinating just to watch from a project management standpoint, watching large-scale projects, whether if it's road construction, bridge construction, or building construction big like hopefully there's a time lapse for the thing that they're doing um the bridge that they're doing down here they're pretty wild like it's it's, it's amazing yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy it's um if they did a time lapse on the what is it 64 where they i mean i think they would have had to start that one with a etch a sketch i mean that thing's been going on forever right but, uh but the uh but yeah you're right it's there's a lot of technical um expertise you know just the way they do concrete concrete has changed um, a lot and they're always trying to find a way to make it um you know more environmentally friendly and, and those kind of things but the biggest like the two biggest takeaways that i've learned in the concrete industry is one don't ever agree to meet a concrete guy first thing in the morning because that is actually still late at night uh, they pour early because they got to get away from traffic and stuff and it as difficult it is as it is to pour concrete it comes out a whole lot harder than it goes in so you know it's a you know you put all the electrical all the plumbing all the all the stuff is buried inside of a slab and then you've got a very short window to pour it get it in there and get it correct before it hardens because after that it's a very expensive venture to come out of well, and then especially with the temperature aspect, you know, it's like, that, doesn't that vary based on uh, if it's like freezing or round freezing versus super warm? Oh, yeah. Isn't hot is the, you know, until you get really cold, hot's the biggest problem because you're going to accelerate the set. <clears throat> but in some of the projects you're talking about, you know, they're pouring concrete and they have cooling tubes going through the concrete just so mm -hmm. that it won't cure because it's exothermic. It generates heat as it's curing. People think oh, it dries. Wow. It doesn't dry. Um, that's like one of the pet peeves. If you ever want to mess with concrete guys, you can call it cement. That's like calling flour a brown. Sorry. Sorry. It's a latch on that now. It's funny. Um, but it's, you know, it's an ingredient um, as opposed to the actual concrete is the, is the mix. But the, um, that one, and then also when they're like, well, you know, how long does it take to dry? it doesn't dry it's a chemical reaction that cures concrete and so it it's it's amazing i mean you know people think about pumping water up to the top of a tall building and you generate a lot of pressure try pumping concrete to the top of a building that's mm. tremendous pressure that they're putting out in these pipes and trying to shove it to the top of the building interesting zach did you i mean you must have followed around when they were doing the high-rise bridge i mean that was just i mean those 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 well, I know, but but when they were doing the columns or the the support oh, yeah. beams, 
that that's just that's fascinating stuff man i, I just so engineering is wild yeah i love um i love watching things like that uh as we're talking i'm just thinking about um the las vegas raiders um football stadium and yeah. um how, how they built that so um the dirty jobs guy mike grow i think right. he was the narrator for a lot of that and so just you you see these like behemoths get created and it's it's just it's just a wild ride and you you don't think of these stadiums to be like they're mostly concrete right and it just takes oh, yeah. forever to and, and like you don't think about that and um I don't know. Like, I don't even know where I'm going with this. It's just, it's just crazy to like watch some of these things and just be like, wow, like I had, I, I like to be in that thing afterwards. And I, and I want to like participate in whatever this thing is, whether it be in the bridge, whether that be a football stadium, whatever, but like to create these things and it takes three, four years in some of these cases, many more, like, it's just, it's just crazy. And these guys are actually working. Unlike some people who are, you know, on construction sites who don't do anything, like they're just 24 seven across the board. Like it's, it's, it's wild. Like I can't even imagine like the things in, um, um, like in Saudi Arabia, maybe where like they're oh. you know 2000 feet up. I'm like, I sit there. I'm like, how do you do this? And like, they move. A helicopter up there. Like, and, and they move. I mean, they sway. I mean, I mean, you're in the stadium and there's a big score. You can feel the stadium shaking. Right. Well, it's supposed to, right? They create them like that so that because if it doesn't shake, it'll break. It does. Yeah. Football stadiums. Yeah, it won't break. A soccer stadium in like a third world country, they tend to break every now and then. But, <laughs> but you know, it's. Uh, but no, it's. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's got all. That's what all the steel is for. You know, the 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 rock around the rock is for um, compression, so you know, to hold things up. And the steel is for the tension, the tension in it. Because the, um, I think I learned this maybe in 01, um, but the Twin Towers, like they were on wheels that would sway back and forth between multiple feet. And I don't yeah. think people realize that. Um, and a lot of these, uh, like roller coasters, they're supposed to sway. People are like, oh, it's shaking. It's like, you want it to shake because if it doesn't right. shake, that thing is just going to snap. And they're, it, yeah. it's engineering, yeah. like you said, Tim, is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. So I think the yeah you go all the way back like we did a job in the National Cathedral in DC, and um, it's got this big bell tower, and so you, it's not overly tall and brick, and so they said hey we're gonna we're gonna ring the bells and uh, I was like okay and then they hand you hearing protection, well they must be loud. Not only are they loud, these are these big bells and there's bell ringers. You know these are people jumping and putting the full body weight on ropes and stuff to pull them. And it shakes the bell tower and sways a brick bell tower. I mean, visually sways it and, and it doesn't fall apart. And it's been doing it for how many years? Wow. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm dying to, to dig into how all of what you learn from that business transforms into what you're doing now from the because there's so much that goes into you've got bids and proposals and you probably have to do interviews and, i mean there and that's just to get the, your foot in the door for the business so how did you transition into the coaching world so uh you know like a lot of people these days you know covid had some sort of impact on your life one way or the other for me there was a lot of silver linings to covid um the uh i had to learn how to work remote and um and have people working for me remotely 
And we just embraced it and then got good at it. And, and then we started using more and more remote people. And, um, and that frees up to, you know, if, if you can recruit the world, there's a whole lot more needles in the haystack. So you can find, you know, really, really specialized people that, that, um, can, that are super smart. You know, people always ask, well, if you hire somebody in another country, I mean, are you worried that they're not going to be any good or stuff like that? I'm like, well, do you think all the smart people live in the United States? I mean, that'd be kind of sad if that's the case. Um, you know, they're building things all over the world. And so that just kind of culminated in the idea of, you know, I like working with people. I have always done better working for other people's goals than my own. And so coaching was kind of one of those things where it's like, Hey, you've got a problem I've run into before. I know how to get out of it. And I know how to put a system in place that'll keep you from running into it again. There's plenty of problems out there to hit. Don't hit any of the ones I've already hit. It's like, I know how deep that hole is and my shoe is still on the bottom of it. So just skip it and we'll go to the next hole. And that just became something that I just love doing. And, um, and then it just, it frees up entrepreneurs and I have a heart for entrepreneurs and, and, um, and, you know, trying to convince them that, you know, running a business, starting a business is hard. It will always be hard. It's supposed to be hard. Uh, running a business doesn't have to stay at that level. And I think a lot of times we get convinced and we glorify how busy we are and how hard the, the day is rather than saying it really doesn't have to be this hard. Let me put some things in place to kind of spread this load. I'd be like trying to sprint a marathon. Why would you do that? You know, you're just going to die somewhere along the way for me, about 150 yards. <laughs> Unless you're the guy who just ran Chicago in like yeah. 201. Is that what it was? I mean, his pace is faster than my sprint. Uh, not that I'm fast, but he shouldn't be able to do that for miles and miles. It's wild. It's insane. And I think that his fastest mile was like mile 22 or something. I mean, it was just, just bananas. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's that's, that is, that's another level of athlete. Uh, it's, it's up there. What is that? A five minute mile? What, what, what was that pace? Oh, no, it's faster. It's four or something. Yeah. I mean, it's his, if he break, if, I'm trying to think, uh, breaking down his 5K splits. I mean, he averaged uh, a, a, a sub 15 minute 5K okay. each, each each section of the race. It's just ridiculous. So why? So, so just random thought about this. Why don't those guys try to become sprinters then? Because they're not as fast as a sprinter. I mean, but do you think? But but they might be. No, I think, I mean, what did you get into slow twitch and uh, fast yeah. twitch muscles and stuff like That's that? I mean, true. I mean, they're not built, but you don't see a muscle bound marathoner, you know, you see muscle bound sprinters because they got the, the fast twitch muscles and they're, they're a lot more, um, a lot more leverage, I guess, is what you would say. Several like Usain Bolt, I mean, that guy's, he's incredible, but he's too, too tall, too lean, too strong. <laughs> you know, he's not supposed to be as good as he is. Crazy. With so, um, yeah, go ahead, Zach. Okay, so you you got out of concrete. You you sold that business. I did just recently. We got acquired by a company called Global Polishing Solutions. Uh -huh. um, it was a. I didn't sell the company the way you're supposed to sell a company, but I didn't have the same goals in mind that most people have when they're trying to sell a company. Um, I was looking for a way to transition into full time with my coaching. And I had a general manager that was pretty much running 
my concrete side, um, pretty hands off. And he got a great offer and needed to take it. And uh, so I was kind of left with the option of, you know, I could either go back into running it myself and try to train somebody else. And that would take two years to replace me. Um, or I could close it or I could sell it. And so I made two phone calls. The first guy I call, called, he thought I was going to buy his company and I was heartbroken. And so was he when that was not the case. And then the second guy I called said, Hey man, I'll be at your place tomorrow. And he drove up and, uh, he was just phenomenal to deal with. It was a great guy. I knew him. We had worked together and we put together a deal that was beneficial to both of us. And I think, hmm. I think that was on like a Tuesday and I think, you know, within two weeks we had signed everything and we were done. Okay. So that transitions pretty quick then. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm still with them. I mean, I'll, I'll still be with them on a, on a sales and business development side and a consulting side, uh, something like that. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I like the guys they're, they're great to deal with. And then they're actually, uh, they're actually customers now of my coaching business at the same time Look at that. because we provide them with, um, three remote personnel. So is your primary client uh, people in that industry or do you or do you go across multiple sectors? So our, the majority of our clients are in and around construction. They're subcontractors, suppliers, general contractors in and around. And that's just because that's where the depth of my knowledge is. But, you know, we do have people that are totally unrelated to construction as well. But, and that's because, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, I'm a tile manufacturer, you know, what do you know about tile? I'm like, nothing, but I know about email. I know about calendars. I know about delegation and I know about processes. So we can kind of help you with that stuff. And it doesn't really matter what, you know, what you do. Um, we can clear away the, the, our whole thing is trying to clear away the static that's around you. So you can do what it is you actually went into business for. And, um, so that, that is kind of agnostic as far as that goes, but construction is certainly where I'm most comfortable. It's, you know, it's the, it's the crowd I'm used to talking to. I know their pains. So it kind of in, inspires a little bit, a little bit faster trusting, you know, if I'm like, Hey, we can do this, I've done this. And they're like, that's great. But have you ever, you know, have you ever actually sold lingerie? I'm like, no. <laughs> so I'm not to be trusted for that. Um, so, but when it comes to concrete and construction, especially in, um, you know, that, that's a, that's a world I'm pretty well versed in. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that when you mentioned tiles, we had our bathroom redone I don't know, a couple of years ago and the guy that did it, he was, he was like an artisan of tiles and, and but he was also the owner and, and it was like, that's what he just liked to do. Yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself, gosh, you know, this is just, you can't scale what you're doing. I mean, you were just, you're exchanging dollars for hours. And if you had the ability to, pass on your knowledge and scale and build a team. And do, I mean, you just based on the work you do, you could scale that to be so much more than what you currently have. I mean, it's just, is that part of your, when you're talking to potential clients, is that something, do you have to find out from them? Hey, what are, I'm assuming, what are your goals? What do you want to do? Because otherwise you're just, you're trying to push a rock up a hill and, oh. uh, with, with different outcomes that, that they may not even be interested in. It is. And, and sometimes people don't know, what they want. So we spend, a, I spend a lot of time, you know, if you're in a coaching relationship with me, we kind of have like sort of two phases to our business, but, but if you're in an actual coaching agreement, then a big part of that is figuring out what you really want. You know, like our niche is, you know, my favorite thing is my, my ideal client is somebody who's kind of 
been in business for a little while. And then now their goal is to get home on time to a house full of people that want you to be there, you know? So that's kind of a whole, whole life kind of look at it. And, um, and then my job is, is to help you figure out how to do that. And, you know, entrepreneurship and business ownership, um, there is no real, you know, everybody talks about the work-life balance. You got to have work and you got to have life. That's not what it is. You want to find life within your work because, you know, you want to be able to have those support one another, not, you know, not, uh, not kind of be a choice between one, you know, between one or the other. Um, so figuring out what they want and, and then convincing them that it's okay not to want what everybody thinks you're supposed to be chasing. You know, if they're like, you know, you're like, Hey, you know, you can't scale that. You'll never be able to grow that because it's just you, you know, and, and people are like, Oh, well, I guess I'm supposed to want to grow for some people. That is the case, but maybe he doesn't need to grow. You know, maybe what he's doing is he just loves it. The, the satisfaction of it, but he's just tired of having to do QuickBooks. You know, he's like, I don't want to have to do the bookkeeping. I'd rather do one more tile job. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I just want to do the specialty tile and help me put together a program that'll train guys to come in and do all of the kind of the, the surrounding work, you know, and I'll do the mosaic and they'll do the walls or something like that. So figuring out where that is and what their real goal is, is it, it's, it's good. To, there's a lot of entrepreneurial guilt, you know, where people are like, oh, I know that I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm like, Dude, the reason you started a company is so you can determine what you're supposed to do, not so you can let other people tell you how to do it. You know? Yeah. As I hear that, I think when people are like, oh, you, are you successful? Right. It's like, that's, that word is defined by every single person. Yeah. And a lot of people will look at some people and be like, oh, they're successful or they're not because that's the way they define it. When that person could feel absolutely, you know, amazing about what they're doing and they think that they're successful. And so it's, it's, it's interesting that we have kind of ranked, you know, mm -hmm. what that looks like. But at the end of the day, it's like you said, Chad, it's like, you get to determine that you and your family gets to determine what, what, what that looks like. And if you're fine with just doing this one thing this way and it's satisfying the needs that you, that you have out there, then, then good for you. You know, not everyone has to have this, like, it's like the whole, like, and I, and I used to get into this, uh, you know, 10 years ago, it's like, Oh, the hustle culture where it's like, you got to work 24 seven. And it's like that, I feel like that gets you into a really bad place and, it's it could be rewarding in some aspects but it's like is this is everything well-rounded and i liked what you said life within your work it's like don't make it's not what you say work life balance doesn't have to be there it has to be life with within your work and i think that's that's incredibly important because i think a lot of people that go into business want to be able to do that but then they they can't go spend time with their families they can't do this they can't do that because they're managing all this other stuff 24 7 it's like is that really worth it? And nine times out of 10, I feel like it's, it's not. Yeah. I, I think it's a trade-off. And I think when I, I was interviewed by a guy with an M and a firm after I sold and, he, and we were talking about it and he says, well, you know, you probably left a lot of money on the table. And I was like, maybe, but you know, I wasn't looking at the same scoreboard he was looking at for him. You know, the money was the score, you know, and for a lot of us, it is. And to me, money is a metric. Without a doubt, you're going to, I mean, you know, you got to have some way to, to, you know, to follow what you're doing. And I get that. It's a metric. It's not the metric, but it's a metric. Um, you know, so if you can't figure out what it is that's important to somebody, then, you know, it's kind of like if you don't know where you're going, I mean, you can make great time, <laughs> you know, in any road of which you are. 
mean, he might be there already. You don't even know it. You know, it's just, you know, it's, it's frustrating to hear guys, you know, and, and they get this external pressure and stuff like that. I'm like, well, hang on, man. What, what do you want? Well, you know, what does your family want? What is, you know, it's like, you know, I made more money than I ever made last year. Okay. That's great. Your kids hate you. You know, you got divorced or, you know, your, your house is a shambles, you know, it's all this other stuff is running. So you got this one bright spot, you know, in a dark room, whereas what you want to have is a pretty well lit room and people in it, you know? And so if you don't, if you, if you don't define that in a way and, and people don't know to define it. And it, I mean, I'm running into people that don't realize that that's even something that they should do. And, uh, and then when they, when, when you do start to define it, they're like, well, I never, I never really thought about that part. You know, I, I figured there would always be time. Everybody does. Yeah, that, that is just, that is so important. And if there's anything that we had that the listeners take away from this show, I mean, it's just really, it's that self-reflection to understand what it is that you want out of it. And I tell founders all the time, it's just, you have to, what's inside you? What is the direction you want to take? You can't answer questions in a way that you think that's how the person you're talking to wants to hear. I mean, and Zach, you and I have talked about raising money all the time, you know, in terms of not every founder has to raise money. And, and, and if you want to be a lifestyle business, that is totally cool. You, you just, you have to make that decision and stand by that decision and find that, that peace and happiness within yourself. And, and so many people are afraid to do that. They are. And it's, but there's so much, and then put structure, you know, like I'm, a, I'm like, it's, it's sounds crazy, but there's a whole lot of freedom within structure, you know? Um, so once you get, once you get your, your kind of what your, what it is you want to do now, you can, now you're free to say, okay, all these things line up and go towards this goal. You know, this is what I'm chasing. Now I know where I'm trying to get to. So, you know, and it makes every decision easier. It's like, Hey, do you want to go here or do you want to go there? Well, which one takes me closer to the actual goal I said was the most important to me? You know, uh, you know do we want to take a, a low margin, huge um, contract value job? You know, we're going to make 4% off of it, but it's a huge job. Or do you want to make, you know, 20% off of a job, a 10th of the size? Uh, you know, there's a trade-off. I mean, the, the money's not the same, but you got to go through a lot of agony for, agony for one and the other. And, so as long as you can start to put those levers in place and kind of guardrails around it, I mean, guardrails in all aspects of your life is a good idea, you know, and, and, um, you know, it, it just makes, it, it makes things easier and it, and it lets people around you know what you're about too. And then they can decide whether they're part of your vision or not. And that's another thing we run into a lot of people, you know, with, with clients and, and with friends of mine is, you know, more like a biblical reference, you know, the people that take you out of Egypt are not necessarily the ones that are going to go into the promised land with you. So it's okay that you had an employee that took you from A to B and they may not be the right employee to go from B to C or C to D. And, uh, and they're like, well, you know, they, they did all this for me. That's great. But if they're not the right fit, that's a problem for them and for you. Free them right. up to go do the right thing. There was a guy that I've followed over the years. His name's Noah Kagan. He was employee number 30 at Facebook. And one of the things that he always talks about is how he was great as employee 30 doing what he was until about 200. And then he realized that as the company grew into the thousands, it wasn't the right fit anymore. And he, it was too big of a company. And it was like, it's kind of like what you're saying, like that person gets you to a different step. That might be not, might not be the next person to get you that next step. And I think a lot of kind of entrepreneurs and, and CEOs and presidents of companies 
oftentimes they're good to get you to a certain level and then not to that next level. And I think oftentimes right. we don't look at things like that. We're like, oh, you're the guy who did it. We're going to get you everywhere. And it's like, eh, maybe, maybe not. And right. I think there's a, a ton of evidence that says different people at different times of, of the business. And we should be looking at that and saying, okay, like you can still be involved in the business, but maybe not to that next growth. Yeah, uh, you might be the yeah, you might be the you might be the vice president until we hit twenty million, but then at twenty million, you know, and then guys are like, well, I got to be loyal, you know, it's it's loyalty, but it's not about loyalty. It's about okay, what's best for the company is going to be best for everybody involved around the company, you know, to to grow it. But you know, you can you can keep this person on and overwork, overstress, and ultimately drive that person away. Because you're asking them to run a hundred million dollar company and they're trying to learn it and they're trying to learn an $80 million gap. Meanwhile, you could hire somebody who's done what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, I know how to do that. And I can teach this guy how to bring him up through the divisions and stuff like that or whatever you need to do. It's not always a go or stay. Sometimes it's just a different fit. And right. it's, and it has a lot about people are so scared to be completely clear. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a book, I forget, I think it's Aaron Bryan, but she wrote a book called clarity is kindness. And, you know, just be clear, be open, you know, just, Hey, this is where I'm at. What do you think? And it's amazing. People are like, I don't know if I'm able to do that. Well, that's Loyalty is an interesting mm -hmm. word, right? It's like, we, 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 it, when, as I'm hearing you say that, I just think about emotional business decisions that people are making because they're trying to be loyal to someone who's been great to them. And I, and I, you know, you don't have to fire the person. They just might have to be in a different role, right? That's still you being loyal to that person, but don't make, don't make irrational business decisions because you're thinking emotionally when it's like, every time I've ever fired someone, by the way, they're always just like, okay. Yeah. And like, I sit there for like days, <laughs> weeks, months, thinking I got to do this. What are, what's right. And then I do it. And then two seconds later, like, okay, bye. And I'm like, and then four yeah. people come in your office the next day. You should have done that months right. ago. And, God, yeah, and I felt like that immediately. I'm like, they may have wanted to quit two months ago, but didn't know how to tell you. Oh I think God. I think like, loyalty oh. and uh, humility. You know, people are like, you need to be loyal. You need to be humble, and they're not wrong. But this, the loyalty you're talking about, it becomes toxic because it becomes a crutch or something that it, it, it just holds you back. Um, being humble is great. Uh, being humble also can be uh, a, a double-edged sword in the same way because. When guys think that there are or owners or people say, oh, well, he's really humble. You know, I, I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do. Okay, that's good. You know, I appreciate that. Everybody can do what I can do. I'm not that great. That's a problem because it turns out that somebody else is probably a whole lot better at managing and balancing a checkbook than you, and you should let them do that. And the last thing they would ever want to do is jump on a podcast and talk to somebody. And God forbid if the thing should be live. And, but now you just take the checkbook guy and you try to put them on that podcast and you can't understand why they're uncomfortable and you're humble because you can do it so they can do it. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's understanding everybody has things they're good at. And, yeah. uh, and, and if you're not good at them, that, you know, get somebody else to do them somewhere. If somebody wakes up in the morning, it's like, man, I can't wait to reconcile a checkbook. I don't know what's wrong with them. They got issues. <laughs> I, mean, one thing, I don't wake up wanting to do that. I never like what happens at the end right. of that process. It is interesting, and I, you probably have seen this too, Tim, but 
someone the other day asked me like, oh, I think about starting a podcast. And I was like, okay, like how, how, how do you want to do it? Interview show. And I said, look, that's fine if you want to do that, but try and find 10 guests first, because mm -hmm. what you will find is that many people are camera shy and they do not want to do it. And so even though they could have the greatest story and they could be the greatest guest of all time, you will be surprised at how many people I'd say 50% of the people don't want to do it. And I, and I don't think that number is that crazy. It might even be higher, but people just feel very uncomfortable with, with talking with, 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 with telling their, you know, secrets, even though they're not really secrets. It's just, it's so it's wild that people are very hesitant. And so anyone that's thinking about starting a podcast, that's an interview show, be careful because a lot of people can be very difficult to, to get on shows. Yes. You listen to shows all the time and people are interviewed, but like there's a, overwhelming majority of people i think that are not willing to go on because they just it's not their game yeah they're like wait this is a camera on one like, yeah <laughs> a little red light. remember i have to go feed my dog or something here, right <laughs> like great yeah luckily this one's not a camera one so we're in good shape that's right <laughs> <laughs> now i want to uh, let's dive in i want, I want to I'm, this is a skill that i'm trying to learn and it's the delegation aspect. What's your take on delegation? How do you build that trust with your team when you're so, coaching someone? So how do you dig in? A lot, so kind of the, the way I do a lot of things, uh, probably a little more bluntly than I should. Um, so we'll typically go into a place and they'll say, you know, you always hear this thing, well, the owner, you're not really, they won't delegate anything. She won't delegate anything. She's a, she's a control freak. And then the person will actually agree with them, like, yeah, I am kind of a control freak. And I'm like, well, and I guess you just fold up shop because that's a personality trait and there's nothing you can do, so you're just screwed. And I'm like, what? I'm like, try it this way. How many of you look at the person that just called you a control freak and say, I don't delegate things to you because I don't trust that you'll do them or do them well? I'm like, well, I can't say that. I'm like, well, why not? I mean, if you trust them, you would delegate to them. And if you don't trust them, then that's a problem, but both of those things we can solve. Personality traits, we're not, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, we're not gonna change your personality. So to me, delegation is one, you gotta know how, and two, you gotta have trust. And people are like, well, that's great, you know, but I don't trust them, you know, between me and you, I don't trust them, okay? We can build trust. And then they're like, well, okay, well, how do I build trust? Lucky for you, we engineers have figured out all the important relationships down to mathematical formulas. You know, trust is just doing the right thing over time. So we start assigning small things to someone. We track to see that it's done well. We provide follow-up to let them know that we recognize that they did a good job or that they didn't. We correct when we, you know, and adjust. And then over time, you know, first is like, do I trust you to get the coffee cup? Sure. Do I trust you to make the coffee? No. I saw what you did with that pickle relish. I'm not letting you make my coffee. You know, but then it becomes something that you trust even more. You know, can you get the mail? Yeah. Can you open it? No. But now you can open it. Now you can open some of it, you know, and you just build those things. And it takes time. But when you're methodical about it and you say, hey, this is important to me because everything I can trust to someone else is one less thing I have to do. And you want to delegate things to people that are better at what you're better at that task. It, so, it sounds like it's compounding things, right? So do something uh, 
Atomic Habits, one of the most popular yep. books out there. I actually don't like this book, but he, I like this part on it where he's like, do a bunch of little things and then they, they right. um, compound or they stack on top of each other. Um, and yeah. I think that's interesting. I think like, um, you know, a couple years ago, I, what, what, what started leading this thing? So Tim had uh, been running every day for like 17 years, two miles. And I was like, that's interesting. And he had always told me that didn't care but like i listened and i appreciate it and i'm like whatever so then i started watching this documentary and it was called um it was about basically going on a vegetarian diet um and it was with a bunch of athletes remember what the name of that was called tim mm -hmm. you've watched it yeah. right yeah i have the yeah, game changers i think maybe I think so like i watched that documentary years of misery what'd you say <laughs> it's like 15 extra years of misery you can live longer but it'll taste terrible Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So then I go and become a vegetarian uh, for a little while. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm just never going to drink again. And so I stopped drinking. And then I started training for a marathon. And it was like all these little like stacks on top of each other. And when you put them all together and you compound them, you know, Tim saying, or Tim just not telling me to go run, but just him saying it to then me doing all these things. Like it, it's interesting how they stack, you know, and that's a life thing, not a business thing, but like in business, as you do that, okay, like, trust this little this this person to get the coffee not make it right and then maybe they can get the mail and then maybe they can open the mail and then the mail can become this thing and then you start having all this trust in them and they stack onto each other and by doing that you you start to allow yourself to to feel better about it and to 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 delegate and to um to improve your life by not doing everything and so it's it's pretty cool yeah, to hear yeah. that and Hopefully Tim gets better at that too. Right. Yeah, I was just well, yeah. yeah, good. I uh, so like I break it down into I've learned to break it down into three different categories. So one is task delegation. And so like this is what you need to do. And then once they master that task, then we transition to okay, these are the outcomes. Now that you know the tasks, these are the outcomes that we are looking for once you master that task. And then once they, they get the outcomes, then we transition to, all right, now you own this process. But it has to start with, you know, we're sending out emails because we want uh, about this event. Now you own the, uh, now you have the outcomes. The outcomes is we want to drive attendance to this event. And then, you know, now that you, you own this process. So you're sending out the emails, you're driving attendance, and then we're exceeding the numbers that we have. So once I was able to break that down into those three subcategories, just like we're talking about, it, it, it made sense to me. It, it finally clicked. Yeah, we break it down. We call it the three Ds. You know, you got to mm. define it, you got to delegate it, and then you got to do the follow-up. We were struggling. We wanted to have three Ds. But so. <laughs> but anyway, the um, it was... What it was, was the second one? You said define? Uh, define, delegate. delegate, and then the follow-up. And uh, so at, it, was, at the club. Uh, it was, it was, it, we're working on it, but you know, defining it is, you know, we, I always use a story to kind of, you know, give a, to give a point, but like, let's say I want my son to take the trash out. Right. All right. You know, we live in Palatine. I want you to get the trash, put it in the back of my truck, take it to the, take it to the little uh, station where we drop off the trash. Right. Seems simple enough. I'm like every week, son, I want you, you know, I'll give you $10 a week and I want you to take, the trash. I didn't agree to $10 a week. I thought he should just do it. My wife said we were giving $10 a week and that's a whole nother issue. But she said that and then I had to follow up with it. But um, so it was like, take the trash every week. 
you know, and you would think, okay, well, that makes total sense. I've delegated the taking of the trash to my son. And then, you know, uh, we tell him that on Monday and then by the following, you know, by the weekend, I'm like, dude, you did not take the trash. You're not getting your $10. And he said, well, it hadn't been a week yet. I'm like, oh, all right, well, here we go. So now I'm like, okay, son, I want you to take the trash um, every week, once a week, you know, do the truck, do all that kind of stuff. And I want it taken by Saturday every day. I mean, every week. Okay, great. So then right around Thursday and Friday, I'm starting to get irritated that he hasn't taken it yet. And people do this all the time. They, they don't say what they want. And I said, I want it done by Saturday. So I really don't have a right to be angry until midnight uh, Saturday or whether that's Sunday morning depends. But, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, now we got to work through this. And then, you know, so I'm telling you, I want to take him by five o'clock on Saturday. That way I don't have to be angry after five with no reason. So then the following week goes through it. And then you watch him at four o'clock dragging one bag at a time across the kitchen floor, looking at his phone, taking it over, putting it in the truck. And I'm irritated now about the way he's doing it, but he's going to finish it by five o'clock. So when you want to delegate, when we tell people to define it, you got to just say, you, you got to get into the aggregate level and say, look, I want you to take it by five o'clock on Saturday. And when you're taking it, I want you to pick the bags up. I want you to take at least two bags at a time. I want you to put them in the truck. And you know, I would recommend you do it when I'm not here, but that's not imperative. So, <laughs> you know, get it done, you know, define these things really well. So like, here's what I want you to do for me. Here's why it's important to me. Here's the best outcome. Like if you do this really, really well, then this is what it will do for us. And if you don't do it really well, here's the worst case scenario for us. And here are the clear, expected, measurable descriptions of what success on this looks like. You know, um, you so know, be as detailed as possible in all this is, is yeah. you you can't you can over you want to make sure you're telling people what you want, but don't tell them how to do it. Nobody likes to be told how to do something. If they'll, they'll ask you if they don't know how, but tell them exactly what you, if you want it done by three o'clock, say you want it done by three o'clock. If you want it broken into five pages, tell them you want five pages. Don't just tell them to write a report, you know, tell them what's important to you and then give them the freedom of how, you know, and then again, what you're doing is you're setting guardrails around your process and you're defining what the expectation is. So we tell them define it delegate it, which means, you know, they, you tell them you want them to do it and they say, I'll do it. It's important to get them to say, I'll do it. Uh, and when they say I, I'll do it, that means they understand, they know, they understand the timeline, the date, the due date, and they know what success looks like. They comprehend. There's no more of this. I didn't know. You said I'd do it. Now go do it. And they're committed. And then the last part, the follow-up, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people in general just wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, I wonder if we did follow our 941s. I don't know. I know I asked Jane to do it, but I don't know if she really did it. Well, the follow-up is they tell you, like we have a system where you, I, I sign it to you, you accept it. Then you submit it back to me as done, but it doesn't mark it as done. It says submitted. And so now I get a little chirp on my dashboard that says, hey, Zach has submitted this. And then I open it up and I look at it. And if it's acceptable, then I shoot you a note and say, hey, man, nice job, Zach. And if it's not, then I say, hey, actually, we missed the mark a little bit. Here's what it is. And then I go back to the measurables. If you did it and you met the measurables that we set as success criteria, 
then you did a good job, even if I'm unhappy, because now the problem is mine. I didn't define the right characteristic. But that sending you that note, that now you know that it was important enough to me that I acknowledge you did it, because early in my career, like a year ago, I delegated things to people and forgot that I delegated them and then delegated them to somebody else. And then the two of them found out that I wasn't paying attention. That's bad. Mm. Um, but that feedback loop, it reminds me that I've done, that it's been handled. So I don't wake up in the middle of the night and it tells you that what I asked you to do really is important on my, on, is on my radar. Yeah, that's really interesting. When, when you break it down that way. And, and I think I'm just thinking back to different scenarios where something didn't meet the mark and, and, and it does come down to the definition. Yeah. that It's funny. We have, I mean, I have a ton of people who they're like, man, I don't want to write all that down. I was like, then do it your damn self, <laughs> you know, but you'll never be free. <laughs> and I, I mean, if it's not important enough for you to explain it, then it probably either doesn't need to be done or we know exactly where the problem is. And, you know, as annoying as that is to write that down, that's why I encourage people when they're starting anything new, start documenting it so that you know exactly how you got there. Number one, so that you can replicate it again, like when you're trying to actually do that. But also when you're looking at it, you can you can find holes. Um, it's just like a training plan, right, for for running a marathon. It's like, okay, here's the 60 runs that you need to do over, over 20 weeks or something like that. And it's like, you know what to do. And the reason I know that is because someone did that first, wrote it down, and figured that out. And so by by documenting that process while you're doing it, it's also very hard to remember to, when you're going back and being like, okay, I know we did this on day three of 60, but, but what was it? And then you're just guessing at that point. And sure, it's annoying to have to do that, but it's it's pretty impressive to to do that along the way and to be able to look back and be like okay well i have my entire action plan of what i've done and so now i can provide that to someone else i can delegate that to someone else so that they can you know do the fu do the follow-up <laughs> or the other one sometimes they'll do that too but it's uh but it's like the the, the whole idea of, like i love the fact that you documented because you know what if it doesn't work and there's a lot of things that don't work I'm like, oh, yeah. well, why didn't it work? I don't know. You know, and what if it does work? My wife makes an incredible old fashioned. I don't think it's really an old fashioned. Um, she just says, you know, she makes this drink. It's amazing. It has bourbon and stuff in it. I love it. I've never had the same one twice. They've all been really good, but still it's, um, you know, if she documented it, we could have the same one every time. But, you know, if I asked her to document it, I won't get any more. So we don't. So we used to put on a bunch of events and we would have like these checklists of things that we would have to do. And some of these would be like two, 300 uh, people events. And some of those stuff had like, I don't know, 60, 100 different kind of levels of, of things that you needed to do. And I remember one time something hadn't happened yet. And I think it was something like we hadn't gotten uh, um, an article in the paper. This is when people were still reading the newspaper. And so we go by, go through the list. Uh, item number 41. Did someone reach? It says literally reach out to so-and-so at so-and-so. Uh, so you, you have the problem. Oh, we haven't had the article in the paper yet. And then you go through and you realize that, oh, so-and-so who was supposed to reach out to so-and-so at the local newspaper didn't do it. And that's why the article isn't written yet. And so it's like, it's interesting how like you can look back and be like, well, this is weird because that usually equates into like a hundred tickets being sold, but you didn't do it. And that's why you're a hundred, you know, right. off where you want to be. Yeah. And you're like, you're our marketing, our marketing company is terrible. We need a new marketing company. And you're like, 
well, if you don't do what the new one says, it won't work either. Right. <laughs> and so much of it uh, comes down to it. If it's important, you'll find time. If not, you'll find an excuse. And that um, yeah, for sure. And the best, but hands down, the best way to get something done is to have somebody else do it. So, I mean, delegation <laughs> is tools where you're like, man, I'm telling you, it is free. I mean, it is, it's once you can get good at it, um, you know, you can, you can, you can just get so much more done and it's done better because, you know, and if you document it, you're your best every time, you know, like, you know, you're, you know, if you have a script, if you have this, you know, you just figure out what's my, what's, what's my Facebook feed look like. It's not all of my normal day stuff. It's my best day, you know, and that's what you want your processes to be. People bash franchises because they're not like this local thing. And I, and I grasp why. But at the end of the day, like what a lot of these franchises have been able to figure out from a process, from a roadmap perspective, I mean, it's pretty damn impressive that yeah. you can go to McDonald's anywhere in the world and get the exact same process, right? Get the exact same sandwich, right? And so that's unique. And I think people like undervalue that and, and underappreciate like how amazing that is from a business perspective that, that people do that. And so it's, sure the local thing i get but like process is pretty damn important especially when you're doing it to the tens of thousands and so like look at what some of these businesses have been able to figure out by just figuring out process and, and documenting like it's it's incredible yeah i mean i mean going back to when um i don't know what company but the parent company was anheuser-busch whenever they bought uh, devil's that, backbone yeah when they that? bought devil's backbone how they had to go through and like they 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 had to improve they had to improve the process to to make sure the consistency from that every single bottle of Devil's Backbone had to be exactly the same as the one that everybody was used to and Budweiser yep. you know no one does it better than Budweiser but it was like it's just that that process was fascinating to me because it was an undisclosed sum in terms of what that acquisition was but. It was good enough to acquire them, but yet they had to go back to the drawing board to dial everything in from a consistency standpoint and a process standpoint. And it's not always about the the product. You know, it was funny, like um, Adi Clevet. You know, I was when we were documenting the processes in my company. Yeah, I didn't really want to do it. I wasn't planning on selling my company right away and stuff like that. But you know, if you're gonna, if you ever want to sell your company, you had better document it because okay. that's what you're selling is your process. But um, so we we're going through the process of documenting our processes and um, we got down to, okay, who checks the mail? You know, that, do we really need to document it? This is ridiculous. You know, we just check the mail. <laughs> well, the mail was a whopping 50 yards from the front door of the, of the office. So it turns out, I was like, you know, we'll do it just because of D asked me to. And so I asked him, uh, I was like, all right, who, who checks the mail? And they're like, well, actually, you know, this person checks it sometimes and this person checks it this sometimes and I do it sometimes, but it's not really my job. That was, we had three people who say I do it sometimes, but it's not really my job. I'm just helping them out. I'm like, who are you helping out? They don't know. <laughs> we, it's such a simple thing. We had never decided who was responsible for checking the mail and our checks come in the mail. And, uh, and so it's important to me. And I was like, and so not only do we not have a defined person, but three people were burning calories 
And in their mind, they're like, I'm always helping out this other person. I'm, you know, I shouldn't have to do this. And eventually it grates on you only to find out that we, they weren't helping anybody out. We had never assigned it to anyone. So then we assigned it to one person and they got the mail all the time. They like walking out to the mailbox. And it's, we never would have found that if we weren't documenting the processes. And it's a dumb thing, yeah. but it's so funny because you figured this was three people who were kind of low level angry about whoever this lazy person was and wouldn't check a damn mail. It, but you know, if we, if you're not creating process for dumb things, you're probably not doing it for important things. Yeah. And so that's that's the moral of that story to me. It's like, hey, like imagine if if at the end of the day you're like, why aren't checks getting deposited? <laughs> and then you find out it's because no one's checking the mail, and then you're missing payroll because something that seems so dumb and 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 ridiculous as getting the mail is the reason why you're missing payroll, like. We find more of that in coaching. Like hmm. you know, we get in these coaching agreements, it's not, it's not amazing things. It's not great ideas. It's not. It's not. We're not that bright. It's reminding you of the simple things that you yeah. just kind of lost because you're in the middle of the fight. You know, if you don't deposit the check, it won't get into your account. You know. Um, or, hey, why don't we ask them to pay us via ACH because you live in a high traffic area. So, you know, driving half an hour to pick up a check when it could just go in at the speed of light. You know, it's it's these little things. But, you know, you know, can you imagine it's three in the morning, you're pouring concrete in a column on a bridge and I walk up to you and go, hey, man, what do you think about ACH payments? <laughs> you know, like, I might end up inside of a concrete column with questions like that. But it's, you know, that's where... That's where all of the, that's not where all your profit is, but that's where your leakage is, is these little things and you're burning calories or burning money or burning time that you just don't need to. Yeah. How do you prevent? Uh, so it's all about execution. How do you, when something pops up like that, what do you tell the people that you work with how to implement it? Because if it's not implemented, it's just not good. It just, Man, it doesn't matter. You're like the Segway king. That is literally what we do. Um, we don't tell them how to implement it. We actually implement it. Um, like I have a keynote talk that I give that's called <laughs> Nothing Matters Until It's Implemented. And it's because, you know, if you don't do it, then, it, you know, a great idea to not implement is not going to do anything. So we actually will meet with you and then we'll say, okay, here's, Here's what, here's what we think we should do. And do you agree and stuff like that? And they're like, yes. And then that's when I shift from coach to something different. And that's something different is I kind of take a little piece of your authority and stand beside you and then go do it. You know, whether that's working with your team or my team or a combination and stuff like that. So if you're like, hey, Chad, I really want to figure out how we're going to handle these time cards and clock ins and clock out so we get all done. I'm like, okay, you define it. We define it. Really get a detail down to exactly what you want, what your end goal is. And then I go make it happen and then come back and show you how to use it. We don't, you know, nothing, nothing is more infuriating to me than to meet somebody and go, man, I'm super busy. I need you to come in and help me show me how to save some time. And then you come in and you give me 11 things I need to do. That didn't help me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I already had a list. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to think about this. Um, so like a lot of people consume, right? Whether it's, you know, scrolling something on Facebook or they're educating themselves on some, um, 
uh, on a YouTube page or they're listening to a podcast or, or reading a book, whatever it might be. And it's like, they're just consuming, they're consuming, they're consuming, but they're not actually executing or implementing anything. And it's like, if you're going to do this task, if you're going to do this thing and the goal is to improve upon it, you, you can't open that book. You can't consume that thing without doing the thing that, that you can't without implementing the thing that that's about to be there. And so it's like, I remember uh, there was a guy who wrote a book, Ramit Sethi, I think once I will teach you to be rich. He's a personal finance uh, guru. And he's like, people complain about, you know, they're looking for, for all these kind of wisdom bombs and stuff like that. And then they're, they won't even pay 15 bucks to get a book when all you have to do is find one nugget in every book. And if that can be the thing and you read, you know, a book, a, a week, a book, a month, that could be the thing, but the key is to actually do it, to actually implement that, implement the thing. And it's just like, why are we consuming these things? From an educational perspective, why are we doing this if we're not going to implement it? And it's just like, it's it's probably not even that hard to to implement it. You're just lazy. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, you need capacity to do it. Um, you need to decide that it's worth it to you. And it's almost worse when you know. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of a great example. Like when you know that it's good, like, you know, you need to move your body for 20 minutes every day, right? That, that, that will keep you, you know, pretty healthy. You know, you know, you need to do it. And then now, once you know, you feel guilty every time, every day that you're not doing it. And so implementing it makes you healthier, which is great. But then it sheds that, that kind of layer of additional guilt that you now carry in. You take that to the business level. It's like, I know I should be keeping track of these people, but I don't know how to keep track of it. I know I should be checking these clock in times, but I'm not. And so you feel like you're a bad manager, a bad owner, bad person. And it just wears on you. And I don't think people even realize that, that, that it's wearing on them. I'm like, just go do it. You know, like, and, and it sounds super simple and it's not. I mean, doing it is pretty simple. It's finding somebody that can do it, that has the capacity, you know? And that's why a lot of times, like for us, most of the time we come in and we say, all right, well, we're going to put a system in place. It's generally going to involve us bringing on a remote person and setting them to the side and say, they don't do anything for you right now. So we're going to start taking things away from you and putting it on them. And then that once we can build some capacity for you, then you can go and do other things that make more money or make more time or we don't make time, but, you know, claim back more time. And then that remote person stays there. But everything we take off of them is fully documented, fully defined, fully delegated. And then it's done. Like two weeks ago, I was just telling Tim this. Uh, I just got one of those ice baths, mm -hmm. you know, where like you immerse yourself into these things. And it's it's a pretty it's pretty cold right yeah. but it's 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 like you're saying it's like once you start doing it you feel bad when you don't do it and so it's like i haven't committed to doing it every single day but i want to make sure they say 11 or 11 minutes a week is all you need to do and so i try and do it somewhere between like four and five days a week um but it's interesting i i didn't do it on like saturday or sunday and i'm like i'm sitting there i'm like mm, i'm I'm doing, I'm, I'm bad. Like I'm, I need to be getting in this thing for three to five minutes or else I'm, you know, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, even though I know it's, it's good. It's literally just sitting on my, on my porch, like just go get in the damn thing for four minutes. Yeah. Like you'll be fine. It's like, it just sits there. 
that's what I was just going to say. Nothing makes me more angry at myself when I, I put something off and, and the pressure of it on my shoulders weighs so much heavier than if I would have just taken two minutes just to do it, or in your case, three to five minutes just to do it. And look, it sucks. Yeah. I've tried that. That's pretty bad. <laughs> and then I started doing a lot of research trying to find somebody that said it really was bad for you, but I can't find that. So I'm still searching. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's pretty good stuff. I mean, even just a cold shower. Is yeah. It is way different than a cold shower. I feel like a cold shower is worse because you're just constantly moving in different places. Yeah. And this, you can focus really quickly. So like, there's a whole thing, like just get in the damn thing as quickly as possible. So yeah, get there. Right. Mm -hmm. you, you get in <laughs> and then depending on the coldest I've had, it is 44 degrees. Um, I literally just got it. And so the coldest I've had is 44. The average is probably 52 to 55. I think it was 53 today. And like you get in those first 30 seconds to a minute. You're just like, you're just trying to get through. Like what is like a Tim Ferriss? Like what, what, those guys, what are they, what's temperature do they do it at? No. I'm not sure, but the 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 company. I think, I think they store their beer in it. It's cold. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure as it gets colder outside too, it'll it'll get there. But like 51 to 59 degrees is what the company um, that I'm using says that all it needs to be at. But I've heard um, through some scientists, they've said as long as you're on do 11 minutes of, of uncomfortable cold exposure a week, like you get in that thing immediately, it's uncomfortable. And like, I'm looking down and I'm like, like, I just got uh, goosebumps all over my legs. I'm just like, and then you like slightly move a little bit and you're just like, oh, you weren't all the way under. And then that part, like. And it's covered like, and that's the, I, I work out, I have to work out first thing in the morning because otherwise I'm going to spend all day teetering between how am I going to get out of it and how right. bad I feel I haven't, that I'm going to probably not do it. And so, yeah, I have to work out. But then the, the good thing is, you know, as soon as you do it, the hardest thing you got to do that day, you've already done. That's right. And, so then you, and then and you walk around and, and, you know, you walk around. So I don't care who you are. You work out in the morning. You walk around the rest of the day looking at the population going, yep, I beat them today. <laughs> <laughs> and you take that into everything you do. You're like, That's hey, right. man, I've already got a win today. You know, I'm, I'm ahead of you. Yeah, it's, uh, so, yeah, it's a lot of psychological building for that stuff. What, uh, what's something we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about? Uh, oh boy. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, we have unusual discipline techniques for our children. Uh, that's always a, that's a curious one. Um, but the, the first job I ever had, nobody knew I was an engineer for three years. That was, a that was, that was interesting <laughs> as well. And I was hired as an engineer. That's kind of interesting. And they had no idea you were. So how did how did you keep that a secret for three years? So, um, well, so I again I came out of VMI and I was hired at this company called Framatum. And when I interviewed the um, the guy that interviewed me and said he was going to hire me, ran our the field services division. His name is Bill Jackson, best boss I've ever had. Such a great leader. Such a I mean, what a great mentor in my life. And um, so between the time that I was interviewed in the time I actually showed up for the first day of work. It's like, I don't know, five months. Um, so they had to finish school. So I show up and uh, he kind of pulls me to the side and says, Hey, I just want to let you know that there was a reorg in the time frame, And, you know, I don't know, I don't have any more engineers under field services. It's all the field guys. 
And I said, oh, man, that's, I was really looking forward to it. I mean, I'd still have a job, right? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. He goes, but I kept you here. And he goes, so um, I want you to work in a field service group, but I don't want you to tell anybody you're an engineer. And I was like, why is that? He says, because we hate engineers. I was like, well, that makes sense. I mean, I get that. <laughs> and so I worked there for three years and very few people, I mean, obviously people did know because uh, I was half the year I was doing uh, machine design and half the year I was in the field running it. So nobody in the field knew that I was an engineer for, it was probably almost three years. And finally, uh, one of the site managers, he had worked with him for a good while and he, he pulled me in his office and he kind of sat me down and said, man, I got some really good news. And I was like, oh, that's awesome, man. What, what's up? He said, he goes, I've just been impressed with your knowledge. I've been impressed with your math skills. You know, you you got a really good feel for mechanics. He goes, I think, I think you can really, really, you know, really move up. He said, so I asked the company and they're willing to pay for you to, to, to go to school, you know, at nights and stuff like that. And I was like, that, that would be pretty cool. I was like, would I be getting like an MBA or you want me to do the master's in engineering or what are you talking about? And he said, you've been to college? <laughs> and I just said, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, what's your degree in? I was like, engineering. He goes, God, don't tell anybody. We hate engineers. <laughs> so, that's when and then the word got out because he was he was telling everybody about it but it was so funny to me it was a compliment you know i was like you know you know you fit in where you are and that's and that was what uh that was a big thing with my mom raising us like we're supposed to be able to be dropped anywhere anytime and fit in and uh but yeah that was a uh that was an interesting it was a great learning uh that, that guy was phenomenal he was he was just incredible uh that's yeah he had a guy that came in to the office um, when he, when he, when he, my first day at work, he says, Hey, here at Framington, we have core hours, you know, from nine to three, you have to be here from nine to three. He goes, and you have to work eight hours. Now you can spread them out. You can come in at seven. He's like, that's what I do. You can do, and he goes, or you can come in at nine and do, he goes, he said, so you can work any hours you want to, but you're going to work seven to four. I was like, Oh, okay. That sounds good. Follow me. Then he said, he said, have you ever made this much money before? I was like, uh, no, this is like my first job, not on my parents' farm. And he said, okay, so you won't miss some of your money. And I was like, I feel like I will miss it. I feel like I will definitely miss it. And he said, we're not supposed to let you get into our 401k until you've been here for three months, but I'm going to put you in the 401k right away. I was like, okay. And he said, the most you can put in is 16% of your salary. And then we match another 4%. I can't make you put in a certain amount, but you're going to put in 16% of your salary. I was like, okay, sounds good. And though that, that savings is what gave me super confidence to go and start my own company. That guy was phenomenal. And, uh, one last Bill Jackson thing, a guy came into the office and he came dragging in at like, I don't know, maybe like eight 15. And he was just, and he was supposed to be there for an eight o'clock meeting. And all that. So finally, Bill looked at him and let's say the guy's name was Joe. I don't remember what it was, but I remember what happened. He says, Joe, so you come in here, you know, coming in here a little late every day. He goes, what's the deal with that? And he looked at me and said, Mr. Jackson, he said, I, I'm just not a morning person. <laughs> and Bill looked at me and said, you know, in my life, I've noticed that people that aren't, that, uh, that aren't morning people, he goes, yes, sir. He goes, generally aren't worth a damn all day. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I can assure you, I was never late. <laughs> like, I mean, he was just a great, you know, he just, you know, if you, ever got it, I mean, if you needed somebody behind you, he was always there. 
but you better not need him, you know, because you needed to do your job. Like great, great guy. I miss that old, uh, that, that wisdom's hard to come by. I don't, it's a, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older and the people of older than me are phasing out, but, uh, that, that stuff lasts a lifetime. It's funny. It's, it's why you got to listen to old guys and when they talk, because there's information in there where it's like, Hey, you know, this is the stuff that runs the, the underside. You know, this is the, the actual, you know, what, what drives people. And, and they've, they've seen it. And he was a, he was a, he enlisted in the Navy and went all the way up through the Navy as master chief and then transitioned over and became an officer. So he was, he was a great, powerful leader. Wow. Awesome guy. Listen yeah. to your elders. Yeah. Gil, we, we appreciate your time. This was, was a load of fun and uh, looking forward to uh, connecting more in the future. Yeah. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. All right.